Daniel Klaus, who is most known for his comic anthology 8-Ball, made a career cartooning stories featuring misanthropic, sarcastic, and neurotic characters. Stories where the bitterness is often made palatable by his absurd and acidic sense of humor. Over the course of reading the first 18 issues of 8-Ball, can we find the elements of Klaus' work that cemented him as one of the greats as a cartoonist for the New Yorker crowd? Join us this month on Extra Issues. Welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. Our current theme is the alternative comic book publisher Fantagraphics, and this month we're discussing Dan Klaus's 8-Ball. I'm Charlotte, and today I'm joined by a co-host who recently got his tongue replaced by a live lobster to improve his podcasting voice, Zach Dean. How's it going, Zach? It's good. Uh, I just... Uh... It really stinks because I'm allergic to shellfish. <clears throat> Ooh, yeah. yeah <laughs> you can hear you can hear it too. But in his I just—it's uh, really swollen. Just, it's either this or flossing, and I just—I can't bring myself to floss every day. So, yeah, the lobster <laughs> yeah, is the compromise that. I'm going to make. I get that. Um, yeah, and we're also joined by a very special guest, a true professional of the comic book podcasting industry. Mm. Today's a good time to be Dave Busing. How's it going, Dave? <laughs> hey, Charlotte. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. I love the chance to talk comics uh, with any fans, and I'm really glad that you all reached out to have me on to talk Dan Klaus, an artist that I I think I can... It, maybe we'll talk a little bit about a relationship to the work prior I don't want to step on your toes, but um, I think if anyone can claim understanding and fandom, it's someone who has read his entire bibliography in the span of the last eight weeks <laughs> and never yeah. a single page before. Yeah, Dave, uh, forcing the, the title of comic book expert, he needs that title no matter what podcast he's on. So he needs to, in relation to uh, his co-host, so you are the comic book expert for this episode as well. Cause, you know uh, what, though? It's Charlotte, less nor I did read the rest of this. Well, it's not even... Honestly, here, it wasn't just like, oh, I have to be prepared so much as... The reason I reached out to you to say I'd love to join for this one is this has been a huge blind spot Hmm. in in my fandom forever. You know, it's one of those names that it's like, yeah, I know Daniel Klaus, I know Ghost World, but I've never actually sat down to read all the works. And so when you said it, I was like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. Obviously, we're going to focus on 8-Ball, but I got to tell you, like, the full bibliography, it is always interesting. Like, it was actually a very fun experience. I didn't necessarily love all the works, you know? They're not all going to go on my best comics of all time on CBH, necessarily, but a f- few of them are, definitely. Yeah, like, it, cool. it's a it's yeah. a really interesting experience. Yeah, we can get into that, and you can talk about some of the ones. Because 8-Ball, so, for context... Um, Fantagraphics a few years ago put out a big volume called The Complete 8-Ball, which was the first 18 issues, which ran from, I think, 1989 all the way through 1997. Um, I think it delineates... I'm not I'm not positive why they delineate it there as, like, The Complete, because even when the book came out, there's a little note at the beginning of The Complete 8-Ball that's, like, astute readers might note, but 8-Ball continued past issue 18, and then it, like, makes fun of you for being, like, a nerd for... 
<laughs> noticing that or something. Um, well, it's, what happens is with eight ball number nineteen, Klaus starts serializing long form works. You know, mm-hmm. works that will become graphic novels. So issues nineteen through twenty one are just David Boring, but it's the, just it's broken David into Boring. three okay, parts. So, yeah, as far as I understand it, okay. and then I think twenty two and twenty. Three maybe are the death ray, which now ray. you would just the look H2 at as, as yeah, individual collections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, that makes. And they say in the book, they say something like after eighteen, the eighteen's a good spot to switch because the format really changes after eighteen. So um, it is. Yeah, one through eighteen is what we read. Dave, Dave, I almost called you Dan because Dan, <laughs> Dan Pussy, Dan Pusey. Like, how do we? Can we, can we okay, a... so Klaus just Klaus pronounces it Pusey. 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 Okay. It's um, it's kind of funnier to just say it slightly, you know, slightly not it is, just pussy. <laughs> it is P-U-S-S-E-Y. So yeah. reader, it's a great name. <laughs> handle it's how you so, will. It's so funny. Um, Pusey. <laughs> hearing Charlotte muttering Pusey. <laughs> well, no, because it just sounds French. Like, Pusey sounds yeah, French. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, so. it, I, that might be the joke, is that it's yeah, just maybe. like Dan a Pusey. fancy European-style way of just saying Dan Pussy. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, so uh, Ghost World ran, like I said, 89 to um, 2004. Or not Ghost World, 8-Ball. 89 to 2004 in total. Um, it's an anthology comic, I guess up until it's not, with issue 19. And we've got um, a bunch of different long-form stories, like, I think most famously, Ghost World. Um, there's, um, uh, like, a velvet glove cast in iron. It's probably the other most famous that comes out of this. And um, interspersed with a lot of smaller stories, sometimes featuring the same characters, like we said, uh, Dan Pousset. <laughs> and, uh, let's see, who else is... Lloyd Llewellyn? Lloyd Llewellyn. Llewellyn? Yeah, Lloyd Llewellyn is a like pre eight ball daniel klaus yeah. thing it's like kind of making fun of like a like a zoot suit wearing like a spy vibe i think um like a get smart era spy thing i think um and he does one lloyd llewellyn in issue number one and then i don't think we ever really see lloyd again except in like little cameo things because for ads uh, for the yeah lloyd sure llewellyn like he, it's like a TV? klaus character but yeah anyway yeah. so it's, it's lots of small little stories and two or three page things sometimes even half a page stories um i think the unifying theme is the or the unifying thing in this comic is the tone the tone is uh extremely sour and angry and i guess misanthropic is probably the perfect word for it i don't know like if you that have is, any other that is the klaus label is is yeah. misanthropy and that is the the curse and the challenge and also i think the um the highlight <laughs> for some readers yeah sure oh for sure i mean there's there's definitely some fun uh in it i i think it's interesting to see that evolve um <coughs> I, i've seen recent interviews with him i think he was talking to the new yorker about you know like him assessing his own work over time and he like says something like at the beginning he was just ranting and raving about stuff but he didn't actually have like specific you know like targets necessarily in mind like he wasn't he didn't have like an ideological backing to what he's mad about it was just kind of you know like a a very like tommy gun just spraying in all directions (laughs) anger and bile yeah yeah um and then i think i can see that like starting to tighten up a little bit and you can see like i think specifically with ghost world the like self-reflection and a little bit more maturity come into that um we, we can talk about that later um 
Oh, before we go any farther, uh, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Appreciate any yes, support. Really would love uh, some reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's uh, that's always nice to see. We'd love to see any of those if you're enjoying the show. And uh, as part of our Fantagraphic series, uh, just to let you know, next time we're going to be doing stoner comics. So uh, Prison Pit, Dungeon Quest, and Megmog and Owl. You can just read however much of those as you want. You don't have to read all of them. Um, you can kind of just get a vibe for each of them. But I think all of them are available on Hoopla. So um, should be cheap and easy to find those. Um, okay, so it's kind of hard to start like with 8-Ball of like jumping into like a specific story or kind of yeah. vibes. Like I, I originally took my notes breaking it up by story and then it just like there became way too many of them. But like... Maybe yeah, and it's hard can... to know at first which one are gonna count, which one are gonna be kept going. Because even like mm-hmm. I think I've read that even him, like he thought like Velvet Glove would I was gonna be a two-parter, that yep. Ghost World was just gonna be a, a one-off, and then yeah. he just had more idea for those characters <laughs> in those worlds. So like, I I think I, I've seen I think I've seen Daniel Klaus describe um, describe uh, Eight Ball as like him trying to do a version of of Mad Magazine, except he's doing everything, he's doing all of the comics, um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of the so. thing this has like. like None of the stories... It's not like Love and Rockets where you can get stories with, like, widely different characters that just all exist kind of in the same world and have relationships. Like, there can be completely different stories in that. Here, it's way more loose than that. Uh, you get way more different genres he's trying to play in and different vibes to, to stories. Like, I think Velvet Glove and and Ghost World are kind of the, the two ends of the spectrum where Ghost World is very... A fully realistic world and just two regular teenage girls uh, like having normal day-to-day lives and then Velvet Glove is like a weird Twin Peaks uh, world where nothing makes sense and nothing goes the way you think it's gonna go um, and everything else exists kind of in the spectrum between those two ends um, but yeah it's it's very much hard to, to talk about it as a whole because then there's not one huge unified thing in the middle except like like we said the the klaus himself like yeah klaus himself inserting his writer persona we'll say (laughs) inside the comic and then like some i think the big three that are like complete stories are pussy uh velvet glove and uh, ghost world yeah i think one uh one important i was just gonna say one important thing is kind of just the the context and kind of the tradition that eight ball comes out of you know charlotte you mentioned mad magazine and that's definitely seems to be kind of the source you yeah. know kind of the original template that a lot of these things come from but like you know klaus is playing in the the anthology style so definitely leaning on the tradition of like comics but with an x okay you know this is the the true cartoonists comics x right so it's r crumbs zap in the 60s it's uh it's arcade which was edited or co-edited by Art Spiegelman in the 70s. And then in the 80s, you have Crumb back with an anthology called Weirdo. You have Art Spiegelman and his wife. Charlotte, I'm going to need you for some help on the pronunciation of his wife. I think it's a French name. I would say Francis Moly, (laughs) but I bet that's real wrong. And I'd like to apologize. Because I think I saw that name earlier today. We're looking at some stuff about uh, Yeah, but you have them doing Raw, which is a huge deal in the 80s. Um, But you have this tradition of serious cartoonists doing anthologies right and this is Klaus' version of that but the yes the thing that makes it so unique and kind of incredible 
is all of those anthologies, you know, are the work of multiple cartoonists. <laughs> and even, yeah. even Love and Rockets, are, which we're covering, yeah. kind of comes from this. And Klaus himself started with in Fantagraphics with some Love and Rockets. So, like, he has a Lloyd Llewellyn story in Love and Rockets 13, which is Oh, very okay. Strange. Yeah, yeah. Like Whoa, that, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking up. So, the, the name of uh, Art Spiegelman's wife is Françoise Molly. Thank but you. also, I'm seeing on his Wikipedia page, he co-created the Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah. Last <laughs> men co-created yeah, that? Yeah. What that's, the hell? Okay. That's like I, I uh, did, did one of his biggest cultural contributions <laughs> from, from <laughs> yeah, the man who right. basically made comics uh, matter. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, had yeah. no idea. Kids. Incredible. Okay. Sorry for all the tension. Yeah. No, Art Spiegelman's <laughs> fat. Like, listen, you want to do an Art Spiegelman episode? Like, one of the most fascinating individuals in the history of comics by far. Yeah. Um, Jackling like, um, mouse, mouse and... and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. In the same episode. Yeah. yeah, that's... Okay, cool. Interesting. Totally. <laughs> um, but no, that's, like, that's the, the legacy and the tradition that Klaus is coming out of. And I think, you know, again, yeah. like, the thing with A-Ball is... On a skill level, it's amazing that one person can do all these different stories in all these different styles all by themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. that is that is unusual. It's the reason why these things come out, you know, I think originally like three per year. You know, it's three so or I, four, and then it slows down to like one to two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had the reaction initially of like, okay, it's the complete eight ball. This is going to be like two years of comics and it's like no this is from 89 to 94 and there's 18 issues mm-hmm. you know and it's just uh I, I think in this time period the the quote-unquote more serious cartoonists like like they don't release stuff at the cadence that local comic shops have have taught me in 2023 is how comics come out you know what i mean mm-hmm. and the work is better for it. like raw the the celebrated alternative comics anthology that that we talked about with spiegelman um that came out one per year <laughs> you yeah, know like the cadence is not monthly um, anyway, so that's that's kind of the context of this stuff's uh, coming coming from in '89. He he says something like um, he says something in that New Yorker interview about like people today must think that there was a whole team like working on it because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. one person doing all of this you know even at the cadence he does it is it's still so much so much work um, and, and I think that uh, length of time that it spends because he starts this when he's like 26, 27 is when he's beginning <clears throat> eight ball and by the time he's done he's like 36 or by the time he gets to 18 he's 36 so I think we actually kind of see like the progression from like you know a young adult into a more like fully formed mature adult like I can yeah. sense that as the, the work goes on and you can kind of see like it's not like the anger disappears, but I think it becomes a little bit more introspective instead of just kind of like, I don't mean this too derogatorily, but like show offy kind of, you know, like there, there definitely is an element of just trying to like incite and prod and yeah. and make you laugh, right? Like, I think like humor is definitely a part of this. I, I, I know, Charlotte, this, I see in your notes, like the comic didn't make you laugh that much, right? I think especially towards the beginning, as like it kept going, there were some moments that made me laugh, made me laugh, (laughs) but I could never like quite understand if it was trying to be a comedy comic as a Mm. whole, Mm -hmm. or if it was just like, no, some other type of comic that just happens to be funny sometimes. Um, I do think maybe because like a lot of the humor just didn't work for me, especially, especially early on. And I think especially some of the more like very sarcastic and... uh, uh, what's the word? Anthrop- um, misanthropic uh, humor just they didn't work as well for me. Um, I don't know how much of that is just like that doesn't work for me, or maybe some failure. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, the the humor, 
I don't. I think maybe that's the reason why Dan Pusey is one of my favorite parts of of Eight Ball. Yeah. Is like mm-hmm. I actually like the humor in this. I actually find it quite funny. Maybe it's also because like I we we've been doing MMY for a while now. Like I get jokes about the the comic book industry and and Marvel in the in the eighties and nineties. The yeah. satire um, in there is certainly like it's a little bit more pointed and a little bit more yeah. like straightforward like here's the target and you know what they're mocking like he's yeah mocking exactly with it. versus like mostly stanley <laughs> yeah, yeah right but like devil doll uh which is in issue one yeah right which is like it's it's about a girl who gets um like sucked into a satanist cult who you know like lures her in with dungeons and dragons and like heavy metal records right and she immediately goes from like a good christian girl to getting a pentagram tattooed on her forehead and then she gets converted back to christianity by um uh, like a chick track right she just finds a yeah. chick track and immediately is like oh my god i'm going to hell this is terrible <laughs> and then like get the tattoo removed and it, it like literally it god the ending of it it's it's so hard to parse it, or it took me a little bit to like parse the tone of it because the end is like the satanists end up crashing their car you know they're like shooting up heroin <laughs> while they're driving and crash their car they end up in hell and say something to satan like you know we've been your loyal worshipers like we will sit at your right hand and satan's like no you go to the you know torture pit and then it's the devil looking straight into the camera going hot enough for you <laughs> yeah like Which, it feels both like a christian parody of satanists and people who played Dungeons and dragons and a parody of christians from people who played Dungeons and dragons so I, and satanists i think it's satire both at the same of time. the chick tra- it's like satire of the satire right maybe like, yeah so it's like it's it's a satirical spin on the like corny chick track thing itself right so like it just there there he works at like a few meta levels removed oftentimes so it will be like here's a sarcastic view of the world but then like there's a layer of like him himself self-reflecting on the sarcasm that he is like yeah. putting out there right so like it can kind of make it a little difficult with like all the layers it's like i it's so ironic it's just like irony on top of iron irony it's it's kind of like the onion doing their political cartoons where it's like yeah a political cartoon that's making fun of political cartoons which in and of themselves are like satirical so um yeah like it took me a little bit to wrap my head around that and i think those like levels of irony can be a little off-putting i, I think, think I that story him. you're describing zach the yeah. i forget what it's called satan something devil doll um, yeah devil doll i actually think that's like the funniest klaus gets <laughs> like, I think I, that story made me laugh because it's so the absurdity of it i think is pretty well played um yeah the you know the idea of this this suburban girl getting converted to satanism and then getting reconverted by a chick track about christianity I actually found pretty delightful. I, I think I like that the guy who tries to convert her comes up and is just like, you know, what are you doing with your life? Like, you have to turn away from Satan. And he tries to convert her, this little Christian boy. It's and the then, idea that that would work is actually well. That doesn't I work. That's very... the thing is she tells him to like screw off, and he like right, runs right. away and drops the chick, chick tracks. And it's only when she picks up the chick track, <laughs> which is right. I think, it's very funny. funny. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny idea. A um, I think uh, there's a there's a heavy biting satire throughout this and i think a lot of times especially now because you know there's definitely that thing of like okay this was 30 years ago and there's clearly an audience that needed and wanted this level of bite in something Mm -hmm. right 
Um, and not just in comics. Like, where were they getting it elsewhere? You know, there, there's a Gen X punk. The matches, the masses are a bunch of idiots. Diseffective voice here, and like I've I've been there. Not Gen X. I'm too too much of a young kid for that. But um, I mean, I you know, I get it. I get that anger. You know, in your in your teens or your early twenties or whatever. Um, but it is one of those things where it occurred to me like. I would never read the rant removed from the ties to a celebrated comic creator. Like, for example, like his rant, his screed against Christianity, which comes at one point. Like, if mm-hmm. you put that in front of me as plain text, like, I've met atheists. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm good. Like, it's not it's not actually interesting. Or, like, the same thing with his parody of, like, all sports are homoerotic fantasies. Uh-huh. It's yeah. like, yeah, okay, I've heard these jokes. Like, you're, you're actually just dabbling in your own homophobia, which is definitely, I think, a problem. Yeah, this. I mean it's it's sarcastic about its own sarcasm without being anchored in anything real, quote unquote. Okay, so, so that, that like it yeah, yeah, kind of at at its worst, it sometimes ends up falling apart because like you you're being so triple sarcastic, then you're just ending up saying nothing and being back at just being kind of sarcastic and homophobic. Mm-hmm. At its worst, I, I, I definitely don't think that's true of most of it. That's at its worst. I think that's a yeah, good Yeah, but it caveat. happens here and there. And I do think mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, um, I was going to say rugby, sorry, Americans, uh, football uh, <laughs> thing with, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the worst, <laughs> I do think. I, I think, so th- this gets kind of at the root of, like, my biggest complaint about the comic, and I, I kind of did plan on talking about this soon, but I think we're kind of there already. Um <clears throat> Which is, I think, for a lot of it, it feels uh, it feels stripped of politics, and I think that does speak to a kind of like it's a very '90s Gen X kind of vibe of just like the the general middle class malaise that is not like pointed in many direction. This like late stage <laughs> capitalism, end of history <laughs> era, like yeah, you know, post Reagan immediately is when he's starting to write this. Um, and it's just like young people just being like, like it's a very conservative mindset, you know, which is weird to think of for like these these young like twenty year olds or whatever. But like it longs for like a better day when things mattered to them, right? Like there's kind of an obsession with fifties and sixties kitsch, right? Because I think like everything now seems so lame, right? And it's regardless of the culture or the society or any kind of implications of like. Like, I don't think you, like, the homophobia, the racism, the, like, you know, the anti-Christian, the anti-cop, the anti, you know, whatever it is, like, it doesn't feel, it's not rooted in much behind it, except just kind of that, like, general listlessness, I think. It's kind of anti-everything, is yeah, the thing, right? right? And that's where yeah, the misanthropy, yeah. la- mis- misanthropic label comes from, is because... Th- Nothing is cool, <laughs> right? right? You yeah. can't you can't admit anything is cool, well, except for the that would make that, you like, uncool. Maybe, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. And then I think with Ghost World is when I start seeing him being like, yes, you start understanding like, oh no, this is like a pretty sad way to live. <laughs> and like yeah. with Enid, with Enid, I think like she's a little bit of a tragic character, right? And I can see like maybe this is him. I, I mean, I don't want to ascribe this to him. He doesn't. In interviews, he doesn't seem like he's, you know, a fuming, furious man, right? Like, he's putting this on well, the I think page, we, Well, I think we have to talk about that, because you're right. I think the, the go, once we get to Ghost World, there's this—it's an evolution, right? There's a leap. And it's a journey that Klaus goes on as a comics creator, where, you know, I'm talking about reading the rest of the catalog. Like, eight—like, that's what I'm saying, is, like, Eight Ball's the first album, right? Like, Eight Ball is the angry first album, and then this creator goes on to be— 
a more empathetic individual who is, and we could talk about what that means specifically, right? Definitely through the lens of, of Ghost World and some of the comics that come out even in the, the later issues of 8-Ball. I, I just think like, you know, feel, fitting in the tradition of comics with an X, reading those comics to me definitely has always felt more like an exercise in history than ever really manifesting much joy, mm. you know? Like, I can't read much Arkham, like, you know, and there's just this enormously influential individual and celebrated individual, and it all just, it's so trapped to me in the era it was coming out in, you know? As much as I can appreciate the artistic virtuosity and those sorts of things, like the actual humor is just completely not for me 20, 30 years later, right? It does not hold up. I think Klaus is at his worst when he's the most reflective of that scene. You know, and this is like fourth wave comics. You know, I talk like post-Arkham, post-Spiegelman's Raw. He can definitely succumb to the the not entirely false understanding I have in my head that most of comics is just horny white guys in their 20s lashing out at everything around them. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's kind of what I think of when I think of comics. And I think there are plenty of instances where that's unfair. Like, that's not really what Raw is. Love and Rockets is like two horny, uh, well, like, uh, Chicano guys embracing everything around them which is actually kind of why we like yeah really sure like, yeah. I, at least we the Jaime portion right like but it they, definitely the horniest is still there <laughs> but i think i think what i what i want to bounce back from with that negativity is like that's not all klaus does sure. even in early april right um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like oh, a velvet no, it, glove cast in iron is yeah. not is not just a cynical takedown it is a neo-noir nightmare and it is weird. Stylistically, it's very successful. I was reading through April. I was pretty eager to get back to those serialized sections just to see where it might go. I wouldn't describe myself yeah. as a fan <laughs> of the comic, frankly. But it's it's got early shades of, like, you know, Mike Allred's thick black lines, you know, and artistically. The dreamlike yeah. abstract state isn't – it's not quite, like, experimental enough, you know, I think in a lot of ways. Yet as a narrative, there's, like – there's nothing there, but then there's these funny, like like the anti-cop stuff in that book. I think is really funny. Yeah, painting the them really as these good, yeah. super eager, over violent, <clears throat> just like you know, it's 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 kind of vicious satire. I think it works. Um, it's it's one of those books where it's like, I, even if I'm not enjoying this, I'm curious to see where your deranged brain is going, and I think that's where comics can be really successful uh, in this vein, where it's like surprise me with how weird your brain works (laughs) (laughs) you know the the like a velvet glove cast an iron gets a lot of comparisons to lynch i think like and and understandably yeah um i see it most with eraser head i think this and eraser i don't know have either of you seen eraser head nope sorry i watched uh i watched the trailer because i saw it referenced in conjunction with this so often really oh cool i'm smart uh, just to let you know, because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> like he definitely has the Lynch thing of I, I saw this online a bunch like that it you know it's in the zeitgeist of like horror and kitsch together right like Lynch combines especially with Twin Peaks the like kind of spooky undercurrent of society with like this cheese ball you know wholesome American pie thing this and like Blue Velvet but like I think Eraserhead is what really links in together because Eraserhead. The man is constantly on the verge of tears and every person in the world and every sound and everything everything that happens around him is just a reflection of his own neuroses and anxiety. And I think like a velvet glove cast in iron feels most similar to that to me where like yeah. every interaction he has either is <clears throat> hostile 
or he just can't get what he wants across and it just goes poorly or surprising in a scary way. Like everything just goes wrong and it's just in different ways, right? It's not just one tone. So it's just like a woman comes up to him on the street and like says hello and then like just vomits in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Or, or his I... friend starts oversharing about like, yeah, I guess you can have my car because I can't drive anyway. I got fish in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Fish in my eyes is so goddamn funny to me. <laughs> but, but it's like a Junji like, Ito visualization. Yeah. It's so good. It's so funny. I also think, like, that's part of what I love about Velvet's glove that I don't find in, in a lot of the rest of 8-Ball is that, like, weirdness completely over the top all the time. Like, including like, what you said about the the way the the cops are caricatured, especially in Velvet in Velvet Glove, where there's just, just, like, weird monsters that don't make sense in the way they're behaving just like the more oh, oh the most over the top kind of cop behavior you can imagine imagine i think that works really well um but but also finding that balance with moments that are kind of actually sad despite how weird they are like i was sad for the guy who with the weird like hair transplant that's not working that's loses his dog without a face like i was set for that uh, dog and not that guy. just without a face no orifices yeah no orifices, orifices, with no orifices it's so funny i love that dog yeah uh, that the the like the girl who looks like a potato who's like, oh my god daughter of poseidon or something Tina's like she like sad. i was super I, sad for her like the, i couldn't deal the with weirdness Tina. is anchored in like very <laughs> real sadness yeah. yeah in a way that is like very endearing yeah, you were going to say, uh, Zach, about, like, about Tina? I just can't, I can't deal with Tina. Tina's like, it's too sad. It's too depressing. Just yeah, like I know. Just like sad little potato girl yeah. who's also like an amputee. Like, it's just too much. <laughs> but, oh, right. And him ending up like losing both his arms and both his legs and living with Tina and his... I don't know. Like, it's it's so weird and over the top, but it, it doesn't lose that those threads attaching it to, to real feelings, to, to all reality, mm-hmm. in a way that like... I feel like when he gets into the more sarcastic and some more sarcastic and yet less surrealist comic, he loses that thread of connecting to the real world to me sometimes, where he's just like mad at at everything and everyone without. It's because the irony, right? It's like yeah, it's a little too ironic. So like, yeah, you're not sure which is how much of this is him making a joke or winking at you or. Like, trying to, it's like almost weasel out of taking, you know, like, really directing his anger at something. Which I, yeah. I, <clears throat> I don't want to say, like, I'm I'm not interested in that. Because I, I kind of am, and I kind of like the, like, the level of, like, here's what irks me, here's what scares me, here's what pisses me off. But, yeah. like, also, I know I'm a dweeb, and, like, I don't really mean this, and I'm already trying to, like, cover my tracks blatantly, right? But he's doing it in such a way that, like, he knows that he's... You know, it's not like <clears throat> I don't know. It's not like a Marvel. He, kn- comic he knows the like... narrator's unlikable. I think. Right, exactly. I, there's he no. It's not he's... done hiding behind irony. I don't think. I I mean, I think I think it is ironic, but then like the irony of him then inserting himself, being like, you know, point having a little arrow pointing to one of the characters, being like obvious artist stand in when the narrator's being like too furious at something and too over the top. Yeah, you know, is him like. poking fun of himself but like it does it does kind of pull you at a remove i think but like to me i think it's still engaging like it's still interesting to see yeah somebody trying to like work through this stuff and also 
you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many, like, how many comics we've read that, you know, work at, like, that, like, three levels of remove, right? That have, like, those layers to them. So I think even just on a formal level, like, I'm kind of interested in what he's doing here. Now that, like, meta-meta stuff is everywhere. Yeah. So it's, like, but I could see this being really engaging in like I mean one of the things that got exhausting to me as the comic progressed is that like omnipresence of the not necessarily the author himself but the persona of the author as like the narrator throughout and like a lot of the protagonists of the one-off stories being versions of him yeah that tended to annoy me because like it it didn't feel it felt repetitive, honestly. But also, I do think there's something interesting about it in the context of it being published over the course of, like, 10 years and him evolving a lot on that level. And seeing that, like... I don't know, with how much he puts his own persona, or at least a version of his persona, in the comic, it's interesting to see how that evolves throughout. I think... Because I think that's also true. Did neither of you guys read the later issues, like, starting from 19? Dave did, right? I read, so starting from 19 with David Boring and then into the Death Ray. I mean, I think what both of those really, so yes, I did read those. And what both of those really emphasize is kind of what you're getting at here, Charlotte, with with even like a Velvet Glove cast and Iron, which is there's, it's pretty clear to me at least reading those, you know, now with the benefit of hindsight that it's like, oh, okay, yeah, long form serialization is where Klaus can excel. It's not the short you know, uh, needle dick the bug fucker jokes. Oh, I shut. Oh, that's <laughs> great. The hell that's up. Needle dick, Sorry. <laughs> needle dick the bug fucker is so goddamn funny to me. I, I even wrote that one down because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget about it. Like him, <laughs> just a man who's like whole cycle is like, ooh, look at that ladybug, and then having sex with it, and then being like, I'm disgusting, and then smushing it, and then being like, what yeah. have I done? And then immediately getting horny for another bug. It's. Oh my god! And he doesn't sorry, like sorry. Did not mean to insult your favorite comic. It's one of my. I think it's. <laughs> it's one that I actually thought I was like. Maybe, can I get this blown up and like just hung on the wall? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I loved needle. Well, that's obviously why I referenced it too. It's very memorable. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny. Yeah. I, no, but for for me, it was definitely like okay, like no, it's this. It's the long form serialization, and it's it's Klaus's attempts to capture understandings of humanity that are the places where he's going to excel and this is once you hit you know 11 right or whatever and even in the build-up to that there are moments but it's like then you start getting ghost world and you you enter this era like once ghost world gets rolling a little and klaus sets and settles into the realization that he can tell these small personal intimate stories of various lives like the comic opens up so much you know you hit a stretch from probably like 14 to 18 where every issue opens with an interesting slice of life you know, yeah. short story, and then a Ghost World chapter, and then a smaller smattering of that, you know, juvenile id stuff, right, that that 8-Ball has come to kind of hang its hat on. Um, but it's it's it also decreases in misanthropy when, while this is happening, right? Like, it's, for someone who can be so maddeningly cynical and mean-spirited, Klaus does seem to increasingly understand, or at least appreciate, like, the value of each human's interior world, you know? Well, yeah, like, there's an effort need... to understand. You need that comic space to extend the sarcasm and like the the passive anger into mm-hmm. like being actually pathetic. In, also, in the sense of us feeling em- empathy towards towards the, the main character, which I don't think you get when the story is two pages long. You right. just get the annoying abrasiveness of the character. And yeah, like I said, in the like 
four, six, ten pages, you get the space to be like, oh, this guy is an a-hole, but like, he's still empathetic. I can still be empathetic to, to him because I get the space of him being like just a loser in a way that is kind of endearing. And I yeah. think you don't get that. One In one of the earlier issues, like I think two or three maybe, there's like a whole three page where each panel is a thing that annoys the, like a, a type of person that the writer, or at least the, the writer persona hates. I, I hate yeah. you deeply, and that's, yeah. That's the worst. That's just never funny and very oh, abrasive. I, I, li- I like I like that stuff because I think okay. like because that like Dave said it's very id right like it is. I don't think it's rooted like like I said it's not really rooted in anything except just kind of like adolescent uh, angst and anger. Uh, yeah. But it, I think it is like it is kind of fun and refreshing to see that like aired out it's some degree so like there's a point where like he kind of keeps playing this tune and somewhere around like issue 12 or 13 i'm like okay like i think i've heard this tune enough but like for a while this is like engaging enough to me even if i'm not you know like he's not being empathetic that's not the point the only thing he's interested in there is himself and his own like feelings about people and then by the time he gets to ghost world what i think is great about that is that he starts writing a character who is kind of like what if that person existed in the world like really it isn't just like a cartoon projection and it's pretty sad right like you're yeah. kind of a sad bully right like because enid's a bully and she's also like totally isolated and depressed and alienated from other people besides her friend but that's pretty precarious because it's kind of arbitrary that she just lets one person in um yeah maybe it's just that like because it, those like uh, weird uh, i hate everything uh, stories happened so early in eight ball that mm. to that point i was still i wasn't yet expecting the like triple irony of everything so mm-hmm. I, I was just like kind of oh this, this is just annoying because i wasn't expecting the age and i think it was also like right after some of the first fan letters uh, that are published in, in eight ball that were all like oh, this is one of the funniest comics I've read recently and everything. And I was like, are those real letters? I, or the, am, am the I letter not getting section, something? <laughs> I've never seen... I've never seen a comics letter section more like... Um, boy, this is going to be hard to explain, I think. Kind of like <laughs> like how a Twitch streamer cultivates a specific culture and tone in their yeah. fandom. Boy. Yeah. yeah, that's right? a very good comparison. But like the way that like if you walk into a streamer's Twitch chat who has like a really specific vibe in a culture to their twitch chat that is like very insular and very inside jokey it will be like what the hell is going on here like why is everybody you know talking in this tone this one specific tone it's like that like the letters page like everybody kind of gets on the i mean it you know they cult they um cultivate it and they also edit it by choosing which letters to put in there but like there is a tone to the letters. But it's in, not like, all it, adoration. You know, I do want to call it. Like, it's not... He doesn't just publish... A lot of it is hatred. Yeah, like, yeah. He doesn't just the, publish, like, oh, you're so great. Like, and some of it is of hatred, from, hatred from other comic creators, which I think then is, like, ironic in and of itself. So I think there's, like... Early early on, you know, you get... It's like Gilbert Hernandez being, like, and, yeah. you ought to get shot in the face, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> and, like... Yeah, like, you get other comic creators writing, like, mean, nasty letters, I'm assuming jokingly and ironically to their, you know, like, colleague. Um, they kind it of is fun seeing, so did you, I... I'm sure, Dave, you saw, like, the names here, right? Like, 
the Hernandez brothers, R. Crumb, Scott McCloud, Terry Moore, like yeah. all write letters. Yeah, that, but that's that also why I thought they were fake letters. I think I, I th- at first I thought he was like making a joke where he was like faking that very famous coming book people were reading his thing and like because so. the quote from scott mccloud is just brilliant the quote from from alcram is just a masterpiece so i thought there were jokes but apparently not was like oh maybe re- maybe those i think the first nice. one is jokes right i don't know i read them yeah. as legitimate but that would yeah. actually be a pretty good gag yeah i hadn't even considered that yeah uh, the the one that I just want to point out, there's one other letter. Well, so the Dan Pusey stuff gets the most hate. Um, as as usual, the com- the superhero nerds are the most sensitive and touchy. Which is crazy because <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the comic. It's so it's funny, great. but like, people, got, people are really mad at his like bitterness there. And he gets a lot of like vitriol over Dan Pusey. Um, I don't, I guess I don't just, think a lot of stories like this had been done. You know, I like, mean, I think mocking. we kind of take for granted that like, you know, that, that sort of stanley stand in as as a very flawed and and credit hogging individual and mm-hmm. artists getting taken for advantage of i don't this stuff was not as public as it is now you know within comics communities i don't think um so for for klaus and it, you know you have to consider too like klaus was pretty young like there's still <laughs> like there's a chance that if he wanted to he could go on and work for one of these companies yeah uh so it it's a little bold in that regard of like being so openly critical of the industry and the system and following, you know, young artist Dan Pusey's life, right? As a superhero comics artist and just all the ways he's manipulated and taken advantage of and falls into these kind of gross cycles. Uh it's it, those were definitely I It's not like my favorite stuff, but in the early going, there were definitely the sections I was probably I was definitely going to read that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I wasn't I never got to a point where I like wanted to skip that. I don't. It's not as interesting, certainly, as like like a Velvet Glove class in Iron, where you're like, this could go anywhere. Um, but it's it's like it, even now, all these years later, like that's a those are effective criticisms of the comics industry and its history. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. You well, and he. Do, I mean, he does also take aim at like indie comics, right? Like the Hernandez yeah. brothers are there. He makes fun of a few others. He's got like, a screaming Gary Groth, the uh, the co-publisher of Fantagraphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, point. right, and that like. Yeah, he kind of mocks the like, you know, I, I guess the the pretensions of the indie publisher. But it, it also, it's not just Stan Lee. It is like Pusey no, yeah. himself. Like one of the best jokes is like Pusey's, you know, like absolute culturelessness, right? Like his his total lack of any kind of uh, artistic sensibility besides just being into superhero comics is like right. a big target here and very funny. Like I love how like. I mean, he's he's the it, him at the comic book conference or the the convention, like doing signatures and stuff. He's getting paid nothing. He's not recognized by the wider culture at all. But he's acting as if he is like, you know, one of the preeminent artists of his day in front of his like six adoring fans, right? And he's like the a big fish in the littlest pond. Um, yeah, it's. It's really funny stuff. But yeah, people got really mad about that. Um, I think that's it did good. get me wondering if Dan, Dan Pusey was supposed to be anyone. Because like, there, there are other characters in the comic where you're like, oh, that's Stanley, that's some, someone or the other. And he, he, that's, that's going to sound mean. He, he does kind of look like Roy Thomas, right? He looks like Roy <laughs> Thomas. Klaus had, yeah. So I listened, to a, I listened to an interview of Klaus on Cartoonist Kayfabe that came out, um, I think it was October 2022. So it's fairly recent. 
and they asked him about this, and he disavowed the Roy Thomas connection. Okay. <laughs> he he has publicly said that is not meant to be just Roy Thomas. Um, he didn't say any names. He was like, it's kind of a combination of a bunch of different people. Because there's oh, actually yeah. strong Liefeld vibes, too, kind of as it progresses. there's a He kind of deals with like the early 90s comics explosion. Yeah. stuff and like you know these guys becoming all of a sudden like almost genuine celebrities and and yeah he he was not on record but he does look a lot like rt which yeah. probably made, which is probably part of why you liked it zach <laughs> you were you're yeah, like, oh, okay i subconsciously I, I, I don't know what Roy thomas looks like so <laughs> but now i will always picture him as dan puse yeah um yeah the, uh, just want to point out one other letter while we were kind of dancing around that there's one letter later on that is so goddamn cute which is a 13-year-old boy writes in and he's like, I love your comics. They're so funny. Please don't make the covers as dirty because I want to be able to hide them from my mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved that. That was so funny that some, a kid would write that in. Um, yeah, yeah, really good. So so b- before we probably dive into Ghost World here, I'm curious, what were your favorite things about the earliest issues? And then what were the things that like made you want to stop? I think Velvet Glove was my favorite thing. Velvet Glove for Charlotte. I think not only in the earliest issues, but I think is my favorite thing in the whole book. Overall. Which is interesting because like uh, a lot of what we talked about is him evolving a lot and being more mature in the later part. But I do think I do think uh, Velvet Glove stays my favorite thing. You're not alone in that. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, but th- that's interesting because I had actually never heard of Velvet Glove before. Like, I'd heard of Ghost World. I'd heard of, I think I'd heard of Dan Pusey, and I'd heard of some other stuff in 8-Ball. But I'd actually never heard of Velvet Glove, which, so I was surprised that, like, that was my favorite thing. Um, yeah, and I think my least favorite thing is what I talked about earlier, which is, like, the, just the I hate everything joke, and that's all there is to it. Yeah. Uh, which maybe on a second read-through, like, being fully conscious of the quadruple irony that's everywhere I'd, I'd appreciate it more but i do think yeah it's like it's where he loses me the most on on, on mm. his sarcastic jokes i uh, i think dan pusey probably is what yeah. i dug mostly i know that you've changed the pronunciation every time every you said time. that name <laughs> <laughs> uh every yeah he's he's the one that i probably like reacted to strongest uh besides yeah. like i mean i guess like a velvet glove has little jokes here and there that i really liked but yeah dan pusey was just so funny to me i'm i'm with you Zach, I think I actually enjoyed the mini. So Charlotte, first off, you're not alone. Definitely, there are a lot of. Okay, cool. I, I've encountered a lot of fandom. It actually made me go back and reread, like a velvet glove, because I was like, a lot of fandom really loves this. It's like their favorite thing, and I, I don't a, buy there's with an it. album. There's a velvet glove album that you can find on YouTube. That some I think a fan made or something. They they, they talked about it in in one of the issues of Eight Ball. Yeah, and I actually listened to it while reading Eight Ball. It's it's pretty cool. Like it it's has not bad. that uh, velvet glove vibe. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I, yeah. I actually probably liked the mini comic Klaus did about trying to get Velvet Glove adapted as a movie more. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I actually thought that was pretty fun. I There's a consistently sharp understanding of crass commercialism, which feels very Gen X to me. You know, that's that's very there in Dan Pusse and uh, and also in that mini comic as well. Um, but yeah, I think the Dan Pusse stuff was my favorite early stuff. But then, I mean, like I said, like there's such an evolution that happens once you get to Ghost World. I mean, I... I hadn't quite understood. I, I definitely was, was um, I hadn't read Ghost World. And I was definitely behind the curve in terms of understanding its impact. Like, I had forgotten on The Simpsons, when Lisa goes to the Alternative Comics Convention, and Alan Moore's there, and Art Spiegelman's there, the third comics creator is Dan Klaus. 
<laughs> Lisa's carrying World, yeah. a copy of Ghost World. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that, there's Which a level of Which makes no cult. sense, because she's the most, like, earnest character, <laughs> you know, who has no... not. Uh, you know, it, that doesn't really add up for Lisa Simpson, I don't think. That she but would enjoy it, it does speak to its cultural, like, impact, I think. It speaks to it, it speaks to its cultural impact in Klaus's kind of panache after that book. So mm-hmm. the, the graphic novel of Ghost World comes out in 97, kind of after all this 8-ball stuff is released. They repackaged it. Um, but there's, like, a, there's a massive cultural impact that that has and and connection in terms of, like, comics creators or cartoonists who have helped the medium evolve to be considered quote-unquote serious literature, right? And it's the thing that I think in, in this day and age we kind of roll our eyes at. But, you know, when you look back at, at Art Spiegelman publishing Mouse and, and Klaus publishing Ghost World, like, those books did have to come out. That work did have to be done. Because mm-hmm. to, to, we just take for granted that, like, cartoonists can just, yeah, you can tell small-sized life stories about two girls becoming friends. There are tons of comics like that. Um, that was not the case. <laughs> right you know like there had to be kind of these watershed moments uh girls world's flipping massive it's flipping massive and so is klaus like I, I told you this Zach, but like i was looking for interviews you know to listen to the creator yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. beforehand i mentioned the cartoonist cafe one which is good he was on mark maron's wtf yeah <laughs> like in 2016 um when patience came out there are no other comics creators hardly that are on wtf you yeah, know what i mean yeah, like yeah. like neil gaiman in 2022 but like gaiman's famous for other things yeah, Marin's um, not I, I, usually going like for the literary stuff, you know. Like, well, he does. He does some literature. He does some authors. Like, you know, so he's got Tani C. Coates. He's got pretty, pretty rare. Oswald have written comics. He does a lot of movies and he does a lot of comedians, and that's it's like, it's rarer for writing. sure. Comics yeah. are almost unheard of. Yeah, it's and like Dan like that and Neil Gaiman, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and that's just like that's that's a thing I had not realized about. Like, oh, okay, like yeah, this guy is you know. I, I think of Alan Moore in my superhero routed brain as, you know, being the the crossover comics guy. And obviously Art Spiegelman still has that. Um, but Klaus is on that level. He's on that level after Ghost World. And reading it, I, I did not find it hard to see why. Ghost World goes down very smooth. It is very interesting and effective. And these characters are... I liked spending time with them. It was interesting to see what they were doing, um, even even with some of the things you're describing there. I mean, I think one of the things about that I like about Klaus' empathy as he tries to understand people is he does not confuse that with likability necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Although I will say Ghost World is probably his probably his most likable or, oh, or really? I relatable do, character in Enid Cole's law. I mean, like there Enid. are... I can't stand... No, I know, but like, like there are... Yeah. There are... Mad, like there, I've seen so many women or girls say that they are Enid. You know, like, sure. like this oh, sense yeah. of, of yeah. connection I think it provides. I mean, yeah. the, the cultural resonance of of Ghost World is really interesting to me because that's the main one I knew from 8-Ball. Like, I've seen that book everywhere in bookshops. But I... And, like, reading 8-Ball, I, I guess I didn't quite understand it. <laughs> not, not because I think it's bad in a way. I think it's a really good comic. But, like like I said, I don't... I, I much prefer Velvet Glove to it. And I think a lot of his later, like, more realistic stories... I liked way better than I did Ghost World. I think, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't think Ghost World is bad in any way, but it felt very... I know it never grabbed me as much as some of his other later stuff, so I was, like, really surprised to see that that's, that's the one people grabbed onto, and that's the one that, like, achieved huge cultural res- resonance, because I was like, that's... Yeah. I don't know, to me it feels like the lesser one of of, of some very good stories, but, like, I'm surprised... 
once again, like Velvet Glove doesn't get the treatments, and like can, Ghost World is the one that gets like a huge movie in, into. Oh, no, maybe not a huge. But I mean, like, but you can movie surely you can see that Ghost World is is much easier to get into than Velvet Glove. Yeah, that, that part's true. That's well, can I right. can I pitch something? And you can tell me like if you think I'm totally off base, Charlotte. But I yep. wonder if this is if that like reaction is a consequence of you not being American. Uh, maybe because I think I think Ghost World does speak to a very specific like boring f- cultureless american suburban life like a middle class suburban life that is like for especially for like disaffected little white kids who feel like they have no culture and they've got no and the culture around them is just like schlocky capitalist you know like pop culture and everyone's just zombies for like following top 40 radio and watching you know whatever movies popular that week whatever so like i yeah i, I wonder if you know that that is like a cultural aspect that yeah, is missing to that because like it, yeah. it resonates with me as like a teenager you know i i yeah. wasn't quite this like cynical but feeling like slightly like oh well you know like pop music sucks britney spears and nsync suck everyone who likes them is suckers and i'm like 13 and i'm cool because i listen to lincoln park <laughs> you know like yeah. or whatever uh yeah, like right. i i get that feeling you know that kind of like you, you know it like i only you know got back into poptimism when i was like in my 30s so uh and, and kind of reflexively got over that like pop culture is stupid and for morons thing yeah you know, i mean like, later in life i do think to some point i can relate to that like i've definitely gone through that phase when i was like 14 15 mm-hmm. um but yeah maybe it just like reson- doesn't resonate as much because it's not like it, it is a very american comic like that's yeah that, uh, for sure i think if it's it, yeah. took place in France or in the UK, like, it'd be a very different comic. Do you um, Klaus's settings are all kind of a blend of, like, American locations, but yeah. also eras, you know? There's there's kind of, like, a crossover of, like... I mean, in Ghost World, it's like, okay, it is, you know, kind of that Gen X, like, 90s vibe, but then it's also, like, a 50s American town where they hang out in diners all day, you know? Um, but they like the diners because they're throwbacks, right? To like, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's and kitsch, they're, and they're it stupid, modern. but like in a fun way, right? Like everything, nothing. So so bad, it's good is definitely a nothing a is sincerely this. enjoyed. It's all like it has yeah. to only be enjoyed through an ironic enjoyment yeah. to so shield yourself from getting pinned down <laughs> as being right. into anything, you know? Right? Did both of you read this? Um, you know, chapter by chapter through as, as a part of Eight Ball, or because I read the graphic novel just at as unto itself prior to doing the eight ball read. And I, I think it reads better that way, but I'm curious what both of you thought about reading it the other way. Yeah, that's interesting. I only read it in like the eight ball experience, but I, I would be curious to to go back and read it like as a whole. And I'd like to do that also with Velvet Glove and, and the other stuff that's been published as like full graphic mm-hmm. novels, but especially add g- with Ghost World because I'm like, I need to give it a second shot, you know? Like it's, it's uh i read it feels like one. i missed something you know? i i i have the complete eight ball and i was reading it like piece by yeah. piece but when i got to ghost world i actually just like sat and read the whole thing as one chunk yeah uh it's surprisingly slight so like and yeah. i think that was yeah. i'd never read it before it's only like 65 pages to, for all eight chapters of it or whatever six chapters um and i think also my like idea of what it was i i thought i had read it but years ago but maybe not and maybe i've just seen the movie the movie's hugely different. Um, it it kind of captures the tone of the characters, but like um, the guy that she like keeps talking about, what's his name? Seymour or now Bob Skeets or something? What's yeah? Uh, like, no it's idea. Like, 
to like get the weird guy she's sh- obsessed with who she right. kind of like then they prank and it's it's pretty cruel actually right yes exactly yeah, yeah. just an example of like how they feel like they're the underdogs but actually they're just bullies <laughs> right like um yeah he's that's steve buscemi and he's like the second lead uh of ghost world and he's a huge yeah, yeah. character in their relationship is like really fleshed out in a way that it's not here i think we only see them meet once and, I do have um, to. I do also just have to chime in the Oscar-winning adapted screenplay of Ghost World because that's yeah. Klaus' other, you know, cultural oh, panache thing. The only comics cartoonist who is also an Oscar winner <laughs> for adapting. He didn't this. win. That's he huge. got he got nominated just to. Just oh, they didn't actually win. So Oscar nominated. Yeah. Okay, I thought they won. So I do something. I think he lost to a Beautiful Mind, which is oof. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that movie has not held up. Uh, no the time although no. lord of the rings was all lord of the rings didn't win over beautiful mind holy that's insane that's one of the best adaptations of an unadaptable book that's insane that is weird that's um, right what, what, what a bizarre selection that would be very have, strange have if both ghost of you guys seen the, the have both of you guys seen the ghost world movie i have not i have yeah i have like years ago hearing it's different makes yeah, me curious ago, yeah. to check it out yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I, I am curious as well also to see like because he i think he co-directed it or something like he he's very present in the creative process of the movie he's like, curious to see a, a comic book creator adapting their own stuff into into movies yeah he's pretty close with the director terry zwigoff they yeah. also do um, art yeah. school confidential later hey, zach yeah. have you seen art school confidential i haven't i haven't seen that one yeah. okay because that, that's zwigoff another one really that's the comic adaptations because he also did the art crumb movie which is also in oh, okay the collection both ghost world and oh art crumb yeah um yeah, the movie's the, the movie I think captures the tone pretty well. Thor Birch does a really good job with Enid and Scarlett Johansson in like one of her first roles. I think she's like seventeen, um, who's also very good. Uh, is uh, it, it like gives a slightly more of a, a like a narrative arc to Enid, but I don't think it like undercuts what he's doing in the um, in the book. I mean, it makes sense because he adapted his own work, right? It's not yeah. gonna like miss the point entirely. I think it gives mm-hmm. the tone pretty well. So you kind of end up feeling like. You know, you're half rooting for these girls to figure their shit out, but also you're like, stop being so mean. <laughs> like, <laughs> open your heart. <laughs> so, are you are you pro? Like, like where did you net out on Ghost World, Zach? Like, are you a fan? Oh yeah, I, I like Ghost World. Uh, you're I bothered think... by the characters. Oh yeah, I mean for sure. Like they're, I think they're pretty terrible. <laughs> I mean because they're teenagers, right? Like it's 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 the kind of terrible where I'm like, I get it. Like you know, you're young and you're afraid of embarrassing yourself and that fear overwrites everything right and uh yeah but i think it feels like a very accurate portrayal of like a teen who feels you know like a little too cool for everything but that coolness comes from again like anxiety um yeah yeah i think ghost world's really good i don't know if i it's not the pinnacle of this to me i kind of no yeah think i i I guess it's also missing his humor and i do like his humor i like his like oh there's some uh, of it it's not a humorless work. Yeah, I don't know. It never really made... I, I can't think of a joke in it. <laughs> oh, wait, I don't know that I'd say laugh out loud funny. Yeah, 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 which he did make me laugh out loud quite a few times uh, elsewhere. Like, especially in, like, A Velvet Glove. Like, the absurdity of that stuff. The, like, the dark, straight-faced absurdity <laughs> that really, like, lands for me. Um, I think his humor is... is and it, I think this probably only increases with age, but it's very dry mm-hmm. and subtle and... It's not played directly as comedy, generally, you know? So, like, I mean, like, an example I'd give is, like, so David Boring is just obsessed with big fat butts. 
and yep. like to the point where you could summarize the first. Charlotte. <laughs> you could summarize. I, mean, the I read the comic. I agree oh, with that oh, statement. Oh, 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 I thought you were just being like with the character in the comic. I read that as like same. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, no. Um. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, to the point where you could summarize the first issue of David Boring as guy guy gets shot in the head because he's so obsessed with big fat butts. <laughs> like, and that's a pretty funny. You know, I feel like Klaus yeah. is like nodding and winking at some of the humor of that while playing it entirely serious mm-hmm. um i i feel like based on what you're saying i probably like ghost world the most of the crew here uh i think it is I, it's not one of those it's not a thing where i can look at the success of it and be like yes this is a masterpiece it's one of my 20 favorite comics of all time but it's it's very successful at what it's trying to do i really appreciate it as an evolution in the context of eight ball especially um and i think it is it, it's just like these characters are very memorable these conversations feel very lived in and doing a story like this, you know, putting yourself in that context of like, there's no drama, there's no genre or there's not, not no drama, not no drama. That's the wrong thing to say. There's no genre. There's no um, supernatural elements. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's just a story of kind of a friendship fading, a teenage friendship fading. And uh, that's it. That's all it is. And it's just these little slice of life moments in between. Um, for it to be as kind of captivating as it felt to me, I think is a really hard thing to pull off. And I think it's why, you know, I kind of roll my eyes at this a lot of times, but it's like some of that's just my own, you know, eight ballish cynicism where it's like, that's why Klaus gets talked about as a literary cartoonist, right? Why you have these, these modes of cartoonists who are considered for Pulitzers, <laughs> right? Who are talked about as literary events as opposed to just existing in the world of comics, that crossover is really hard to achieve. Um, and I can see w- how Ghost World starts pushing in that direction. I don't even know that it's the best thing from this era. Like, I think caricature is really good, um, which is a story of this traveling caricature artist. Um, I think there's some other glue factory is good, blue Italian shit. Like, there's a lot of just kind of like semi auto bio, weird slice of life stuff that comes out in this era that's, yeah. that's really tight. And you can see, like, oh, okay, like this, this guy's becoming really really skilled at telling a variety of different stories i i think i'd be curious to keep reading because i like combining the the kind of like a little bit of the sarcastic bite with the slightly more human focused ghost world i think would be like the sweet spot for me like uh i like i really like ghost world i think it's very strong it's not like a complaint but i do like i i appreciate the like the 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 slight like mean edge to like some of the earlier stuff right and ghost world is i guess it's like the girls are mean but like and it's kind of sad about you know the way that they like progress through the world and they're mean to other people but uh yeah i guess something like i guess like like a velvet glove you know works for me dan pussy also strikes that level because i actually do kind of like him like pussy himself right like even if he is uh kind of a jerk at times yeah that character works for me right um yeah, check out the movie. Movie's a movie's definitely worth your time. Steve yeah. Buscemi's very good in it, uh, as well as the the other two. I, I have a question for Charlotte. So Charlotte, did you so did you keep going with David Boring and the Death Ray? And I'm curious, what did you think? I did. I was actually really interested in Dave Boring. I I actually quite liked that like three issue three issue story arc. Yeah. I I think by the time I got to Death Ray, I was like 
kind of tired and like ready to be done with the comics so i kind yeah. of like skipped through that one and like it, it does like jump weirdly it jumps into scenes and like throughout the life of the character in a way that like if you're not like 100 percent focused you're just gonna lose focus so that's kind mm-hmm. of what happened to, mm-hmm. to death ray with me with death ray for me um but i actually quite liked uh, dan boring i thought that was interesting i i mean i i actually kind of think it does hit that like mix of very real human emotions and and moments and like that edge that you were maybe missing from from ghost world zach mm-hmm. so maybe i i'd be curious what you think of of dan boring yeah there's definitely I, more of a supernatural weirdness yeah in david yeah, yeah. boring that ghost world is missing um i think enid and and rebecca are actually more likable characters despite the mean girl (laughs) you know vibes right of of their teenage nature i think david boring is he's a little boring (laughs) you know (laughs) um i do take it as a personal offense definitely uh i've never it's a bit of a personal satire of me you know which i feel like was maybe a little cruel of klaus um, I too have been shot in the head over big fat butts, and frankly, I don't like people joking about it. Uh, but it, it's definitely got some real strangeness to it. Uh, as far, like, there's just this myst- like, there's a like, it's like maybe the world is ending due to an apocalyptic plague, but maybe it's not. <laughs> it's like yeah. this thing of like, is this really happening or not? There's there's a strangeness to all that. It also ends on a very sweet note of incest, weirdly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's a it's a weird book. I I'm surprised. I guess maybe it was just the nature of of you know overclousing yourself or whatever. But um, the death ray is. I actually think one of. I mean, it, the death ray is Klaus's superhero comic. So yeah. I think in that regard, it is one of the most accessible. I mean, it is it is it's it's a what if Spider Man was real? What if Peter Parker was real? Thing which sounds horrible. You know, generally like versions of what if this was real is a pretty tired premise at this point. Um, but the Klausian version of that is is pretty interesting, you know? What if this kid developed yeah. uh, superheroic powers every time he... Oh, what is it? It's like every time he gets super nervous or uh, sneezes, or I forget what exactly it is. Yeah, I can't remember, yeah. But um, it's something goofy like that, But it, which is very teenage and, and relatable. But then it's also like, and he inherited a death ray from his father. <laughs> But it's not, you know, it's it's his version of a superhero comic, so I find it pretty compelling. And and honestly, you know, I don't know how much you want me to go on about the rest of the bibliography, but it's like... Yeah, well, just if, you, you know, what really, like, stood out to you, what do you recommend? Yeah, so, I mean, the Ice Haven is phenomenal. Um, Ice Haven is the first post-8-ball work. It is, uh, it's told, um, so it's wider than it is tall. You know, it's kind of got this uh, almost, like, classic Sunday strip sort of length to it so like the hardcover is you know it's it's this wide book but it's not oh tall. i thought you meant like i i understand what you mean i thought i didn't know you meant physically i thought you just meant like you know it has a wide breadth of characters but it's not that <laughs> deep about the like well i'm, gl- like, I'm glad like, you understood my metaphor like i was film, also you know? saying that yeah, <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> but it is it's the story of a town and it's it's very much in the spirit of like winesburg ohio um where it's just like okay here are different characters who live in this town and their experiences and there's just like but it also you know it makes strange decisions like to integrate like leopold leopold and Loeb uh murders in chicago history and the clarence darrow defense of them and and that connects to some characters and you have this old poet who's just jealous of everyone and you have a comics critic introducing and ending the book and it's just like it's got all this weird stuff but it just vibes together 
to create a portrait of all these different people in this place they live um, very, very effectively. Uh, so I liked Ice Haven a lot. I liked the Death Rays I talked about a little bit. It's not my favorite, but I enjoyed it. And then Klaus' recent stuff, uh, Patience, it came out in 2016. It is the most... It's the most straight genre thing I've read from him. Like, it is very much a sci-fi time travel story. Okay. Um, huh. And you can Strange. still tell it's him, but it's... I, I think there's a lot of fans that were pretty turned off by that because that is not what the creator is known for. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually found it... It was actually a much-needed breath of, of normalcy <laughs> after a lot of 8-Ball <laughs> for me where yeah. it was like, okay, you're playing. And then I've actually... So we're recording this in July 2023. Uh, he has a new book coming out first one in seven years um in october it's called monica which i've read advanced review copies of yeah yeah so i i'm just you know you know i've just i've just read it you know just those advanced review copies genuinely impressed i think that's very cool (laughs) it is it's it's a nice thing to have um it is a fascinating book i don't it's one of those things where it's like it's the first book in quite some time where i finished it and I was like, I need to read it again. Mm. And Ooh. I don't hardly ever want to do that. But it was just for like matters of understanding and clarity and ability to articulate my thoughts on it. I knew I'd have to go back. And I'm not – and I didn't dread it. I did it. Um, and I think that's actually one of the things that Klaus brings to the table, like A Velvet Glove, um, Ice Haven, some of the denser Stranger Choices. Like it's very rereadable work. Uh, and that is – kind of the highest one of the highest compliments that i would personally give a thing because most comics are pretty disposable right uh or or pretty you know pretty uh consumable and you're done yeah kind of works you know um and i think a lot of cloud stuff even if it's not because like monica this new one which i won't there's anything i do to spoil it frankly but uh i don't even know that i'm gonna put it on like my favorites of the year list it's not like i read it and i was like this is amazing it's more like i read it and boy, this makes weird big choices, and I'm not totally sure what's happening. Sure. And I'm kind of curious to go through that again. Hmm. Um, but I, it's like I didn't – I couldn't put it down, but I wasn't having fun, <laughs> if that makes sense. I wasn't I wasn't excited. I wasn't thrilled by it. It's kind of a boring story, but it's told so interestingly. I guess that – and that's kind of that's kind of a lot of what Klaus does, I feel like. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely – I don't – I didn't respond to Klaus's work in the way like – we did last month with Jaime Hernandez and Love and Rockets, where like I'm like I'm gonna be re- revisiting, you know, Jaime's Love and Rockets for the rest of my life. <laughs> like immediately, yeah. I know like I'm gonna be rereading this every few years. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not that, but like I definitely, you know, I, I feel like well, Eight Ball is definitely easier also to pick up and be like, well, I'm just gonna read the like a Velvet Cast and Iron Glove part, or I'm just gonna read a few of his little tirades and just you know jump back in that world and get a little bit sure of, you know have a couple laughs um and you know but yes it is it is not like a world i like want to live in forever but i also don't think he would think that you should <laughs> right? yeah like, and i mean love and rockets is very much like comfort not comfort food because like that has a connotation of like easy easy to like it's 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 uh, meaty. That's not the right word. Like it has stuff going on for it, but like it's very much you go back to that world and you're happy to hang out with this character. I mean, I do get Whereas, the comforting thing. You, you do settle yeah. into that comic, and you're just kind of like I'm hanging yeah. out. Like I'm just hanging Whereas out eight, with my eight ball is like eight ball is more spiky. Like it's 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 <laughs> yeah, harder yeah, to yeah. love, you know. Like well, it, I think those... even when it's really good, you're like I, 
like I'm not I'm not having a great time. Like this is this is really good. But I'm not, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's there's often an appreciation, but not necessarily an infatuation. And and I veered yeah. I veered between those two reading eight ball. Like I think I always appreciated what was going on and then yeah. it would veer into like affection and like real enjoyment. Like a decent amount. Because Klaus is I mean, just like skill wise, like 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 a chameleon. I mean, can just mm-hmm. kind of do anything. Yeah. Style wise. And that's actually one of the things that makes the post eight ball bibliography so fascinating is like each book is is a new format. It's a new style. It's a new approach. And you kinda there's always like this excitement, I feel like, where it's like, okay, this might this might be my favorite comic. There's that feel of like this might be the format that is the one that I flip and love. And I kind of love having a creator. Like, like I will definitely, for the rest of my life, anytime there's a new Klaus release, we'll be reading that day one mm-hmm. um, based on this experience. And again, I would not even position myself as like, like when I did the Chris Ware journey, for example, yeah. um, building stories became one of my favorite comics of all time. Yeah. Like there was just that instant, oh my gosh, this is flipping incredible. And I didn't have that with Klaus, but there's such affinity and appreciation nonetheless, you know, um, that I'm like, yeah, I would absolutely pick up anything this guy's going to do. You know, I'm like skimming through patience right now. And like, it's kind of wild how much he's evolved even from eight ball. This looks so different. I I saw him actually talk about in some recent interview, he was like, yeah, my style's improved. Like I used to do like dioramas and I would draw a character in the foreground and then I would draw a background behind them (laughs) and like, and now I try to draw people in rooms, right? Like, and you can mm. see that it kind of feels like he has a very flat world, right? Like it's kind of boxy in 3D. Um, yeah. But that looks like not the case anymore. Like patience has angles, <laughs> like to people's faces, which is kind of interesting. And there's a there's a kind of this Kirby esque cosmic, yeah, I'm seeing elements that, that are that come into that. that one. I if for new readers, I would say Ghost World, The Death Ray, and Patience mm. are the easiest roads in. Um, but then based on Charlotte's experience and some of what I've read from other people, like maybe you have to do like a velvet glove to get the true early yeah. kind of weirdness of it all. And if you're like Charlotte and I recommend this for Charlotte too, check out uh, a razor head if you want. Yeah. Some David Lynch. It's great. I sure mean, it's, will, his, yeah. it's his early work. It's 1977. Um, but like, I, it's excellent. It's, it's a really great movie. And I think that is closer in, uh, tone to like what he's doing here although it's it's less angry and it's more anxious it kind of reflects the anxious side of klaus here rather than like the angry side um but uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um before we wrap up oh well dave i, I do want to ask you about your you were saying like klaus never made money from comics i don't want to talk about that i just want to point out one line that made me laugh so hard <laughs> in this which is a real like kind of lynch deadpan thing where at the end of like a velvet glove cast in iron the uh the protagonist is like taking the trash out of the hotel he's staying in mm-hmm. and he's just walking by the front desk and the guy at the front desk goes ahoy matey you got something for the captain in that old sack <laughs> and then the guy like doesn't say anything and just looks at him and he goes ye fucking landlubber and then the guy <laughs> runs back into his hotel room and takes his trash with him <laughs> That just kind of like, you can't go out into the world because you'll just be accosted by someone who's going to put you in a social situation that you don't yeah. want to deal with. I'm like, that's that's the kind of stuff in like a Velvet Glove that like he gets at through the like the really absurd stuff. But yeah, like, 
I get that feeling, you know? It's just like, I, and he even has a character in some other little short who's like, I'm going to stay here in my apartment. I've got my records. I've got food. I'm never leaving again because I can't deal with... Oh, you know what? It's actually... Did either of you see Bo is Afraid? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I did thought a lot about this... Bo is Afraid while, re- while reading this. Bo yeah. is Afraid is... Like, Daniel Klaus in Bo is Afraid. There's a lot of crossover here where it's just oh, like... Yeah. Oh, the yeah. The entire is. world is very much dead set against making you uncomfortable in the exact ways that you hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, your exact anxieties are going to manifest them out, manifest themselves outside in the street in like really absurd ways. You know, I'm and glad I, you brought that I think, up. Like the go part ahead, I ahead. actually liked about Bo is Afraid is what Dan Klaus managed to do really well in, in like the first Blah. half of that movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dave, Dave, See, I think Dave, there's, I no, you all told me about it, and I I okay. got to make time at some point um yeah. to check it out. I I actually think that's one of like one of the reasons Klaus. connects with readers i think so well and becomes this kind of cult-like figure um is because of the understanding of those internal anxieties of the Mm -hmm. deeply shy (laughs) you know of of folks who just feel like all these like all these characters are always sweating they're always uncomfortable you know um like you said like through the metaphor of yeah, some stranger is going to pretend to be a pirate and it's going to make me so uncomfortable. I just don't even want to walk down there in front of that guy. I think that stuff, when he's not literally articulating, like, I don't like these people because they're annoying, you know? Um, and it's kind of through metaphor and strangeness. It actually best captures yeah. the experience of being, you know, awkward and and uncomfortable in the world. I think that stuff is is done fantastically well. Um, and then, you know, the final thing I want to say too is like, I actually think 8-Ball, as much as I appreciate it, it's probably my second least favorite thing he's done if you remove Ghost World and and like a Velvet Glove from it. Like, I like everything else that comes after way better. So it does, I think it does to me feel, you know, it's a proving grounds. You know, it's kind of a testing ground for like what this creator's going to be, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and kind of figuring themselves out, but while publishing, again, like, a fairly, mer- like, you know, how many how many solo anthologies <laughs> are still talked about where it's just one person, you know what I mean, mm. um, from this era? Like, that's not mm-hmm. a thing that happens a heck of a lot, and uh, it's it's pretty incredible that it achieved yeah. the level. I mean, Abel is incredibly interesting as, like, this is... 10 incredibly formative years for creators for for a creator and everything he did in in those 10 years is in this yeah and you have 18 issues of it and like that's that's really interesting and just like analyzing how that creator evolved well it's like, so influential how often too. Can you have that yeah you know i mean you hear the guys on on cartoonist kayfabe at pescor and, and jim rugg you know really established cartoonists in their own right you know and they this is clearly a formative work for them um mm-hmm. adrian tomine you know, in the 2000s had uh, Optic Nerve, which was a similar kind of thing. That's where Shortcomings was published, which is now going to be a movie apparently coming out this year. Um, I think you have a lot of established, critically claimed cartoonists who, you know, in the same way that the the 80s guys would have been saying, our crumb, our crumb, you know, you're going to have a lot of them saying, Dan Klaus, Dan Klaus, right? Like that's... Our crumb, our crumb, what have I... <laughs> what have you done? No. Our crumb, our crumb, <laughs> what have you done? Have either of you read some our crumb? Uh, I don't think I have. A little bit when I was like 18 and I was like, this is gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've always been curious to check it out, but I kind of... I went back and did some more. It feels... Charlotte through it. No, it feels a lot like um, like early like 60s Zappa. 
mm-hmm. like going and, so... and like listening to that stuff where it's like so of its era and it's it's like kind of fascinating you can feel the skill and you can feel the the humor there but also just that recognition of like this was not for me 50 years later <laughs> well, I, I might have read some Fritz the Gats but I think that's as far as I've read yeah yeah it's it's a little like reading Bukowski to me mm-hmm. where like I'm really impressed with it but also I'm just like Ugh, like spending this much time in this guy's head is like you know it gets to you after a little bit it's not something i like to hang out with too too much or at yeah, least too yeah, often yeah. like fan graphics has like you know like 30 volumes of the complete crumb and it's like crazy. yeah as much as i like studying comics history you know i don't want to i never want to do that <laughs> yeah yeah i've never felt as much as a zoomer than going through the bibliography section on arkham's um, wikipedia page and seeing that he did a comic called mineshaft and thinking oh did he do a minecraft parody comic (laughs) 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 i'm sorry (laughs) i guess it was relatively recent but yeah yeah Uh, 2000 is relatively recent that's when i was born (laughs) um i had i have one other thought about this which is I think you could kind of sum up the entirety of um, Daniel Cla- of Eight Ball that we read, and Daniel Klaus the the vibe and the tone of it in that one meme of the guy standing in the corner of a party who's like they don't know. Do you know that? You know oh, what I'm yeah. talking about? Oh yeah. I feel like that's like the entirety of like they don't know. I have a mildly popular Twitter account. <laughs> like they don't know. I actually have really good taste in music and like just sulking in the corner in like, I mean, there's even a comic like that, which is a first person Klaus at a party. Yeah. Commenting on his internal monologue, commenting on everyone being terrible and this and that. And it's, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's like formalistically kind of interesting. First and person he, he has a, a reflexive, like maybe I'm bad. Cause they're having, look at them. They're having fun. Like, yeah, I'm just over here sulking. Like, no, yeah. no, it's, it's them who are wrong. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Dave, yeah. you, you were saying about him talking about making money. Uh, and I just wanted to. Uh, oh, you... somebody. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, also the the soda thing. Do you know about the soda thing? I just. Uh, I, I, he designed soda cans or a, a logo. What was For it? For Coke, Coke tried to create a Gen X off-brand soda called OK Soda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny. Just like you know, Gen X doesn't like things to be cool. They like things to be like a flat affect. Yeah. <laughs> so they created OK Soda. It's ironic. Get it? Like it's just okay. And we're going to sell it that way. But then they got Klaus to actually, like, make the cans. And the cans look great. Like, definitely encourage everyone to go look at the cans. They're just, like, his characters on the front. They've got a very... Yeah. F- they're really appealing looking. Um, and I would definitely buy of, some OK Soda. Yeah, for sure. And I'm kind of surprised he did it. Like, it feels like, you know, it goes against the... the but, you know, he, he's got to make money. I'm not, not judging the guy. Um, he's done a lot of uh, illustration work for for some interesting projects, album covers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. On on the Mark Maron episode on WTF, he says that uh, David Cross and Bob Odenkirk reached out to him to do the logo for Mr. Show, and he passed on it because he thought what? like he thought comedy was lame. <laughs> 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 like like he didn't he thought they were like he like had this vision of like like vaudeville comedy, I guess, like still being what what was happening, and like he didn't want to do it, and he kind of regretted it. Um, but yeah, no, it's the thing I was referencing is one, in one of the interviews they were like, oh, you must have made all this money off your comics and he, he kind of alluded to like no it was it was never the comics it was always like illustration work it was it was selling original art which he was seemingly pretty ahead of the curve on i mean in his ape one of the cool things about the eight ball reproductions is they reproduce everything so it's got the yeah. you know because he made all the ads himself but it'd be ads for his own store you know and selling original art and that sort of thing t-shirts um, and screen printed yeah like, posters and stuff signed posters and it would be like yeah send me some cash 
to my home and uh, I'll send you a poster. Yeah. 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 And it was, you know, it was like serious inquiries only kind of thing. You know, it was like, yeah. you have to prove you're interested, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that's where the money was at. And then obviously I'm, I'm sure some of the Hollywood screenplay stuff, he's written a few other screenplays. I mean, art school confidential, we, we didn't really talk about, but that was made into a movie and he's done some like HBO pilot stuff that I guess never got made, which hmm. now that I've read all the work would have been really interesting. But, uh, but yeah, there's kind of a, a minor Hollywood, life but and then he had like have... art gallery you know he, he started like selling his work <laughs> as art right like yeah yeah the, the high art world which probably started to you know really bring i've seen some in. exhibits in chicago before i had really, really yeah. a concept of who he was actually yeah because he, he was born in chicago can i can i tell you the funniest thing i learned about dan class huh. actually um yeah okay so a few weeks ago mark miller was trending on twitter this is back when we used to go on twitter i don't do that anymore um <laughs> yeah, a few weeks ago <laughs> two weeks ago and uh and Mark Miller, so I, I check out why, and he was trending because apparently he endorsed th- the weird Kennedy, the anti-vax Kennedy. <laughs> Miller did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or he like, enough, I usually don't hate his politics. Like, he's not yeah. as toxic as you'd think, generally, but that kind of is in line with what you'd think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, so yeah. so a lot of people were, like, reacting to that and being like, ah, this guy. And then and then there was a lot of just, like, and his comics suck, too. And, uh, and all that got me thinking... Because I, I was wondering, like, did I, I wonder if I included Miller on my horrible, no good, cringe-inducing list of my favorite comics writers of all time that I published about eight years ago. <laughs> it is the worst thing I've ever published on CBH. Yeah. Um, it is just a permanent stain on my honor. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I'm too, I don't know, gutless, too, too, too honor-bound to delete it. I don't know. Anyway, I went and I you looked. You have to have that list tattooed on your bicep. Oh, it's so bad. And uh, and I went and I looked. And I'm like, is Miller on here? And he's actually not. He didn't even make my top 50 eight years ago, which is actually surprising. I wonder if I just forgot him. But um, he's not on there. But the funniest thing I found was at number 48, Daniel Klaus. I had never read a single page of Klaus <laughs> until this episode. I'm positive of it. Somehow I still had him inside my top 50. I do That's not know what was happening there. I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to light you up in the comment section here. Yeah, yeah. So having um having now read all the works, he has moved up one spot to number 47. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That that's not true, right? That is not true. That's a joke. Okay. Cuz I'm I'm looking at some people here where I'm like there's no way you rate him above Jason. <laughs> Listen, oh, I am not of. here today to talk about the contents of that list, Zach. I have disavowed it. Um I don't it, well, it, the most frustrating thing is of all the of all the articles that no longer rank number one mm-hmm. in Google, of all the articles that no longer get visibility, that is the one that when people search for the best comic writers of all time, it is just permanently affixed at the top of the search results. People will forever find this horrible, no good, very bad list. <laughs> and I can't shake it. Well, number one is Alan Moore is a safe but respectable choice. My top four is fine, and then it just falls off the rails. It's it's very superhero. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the only real. That's the fairest way to put it. The strong criticism is just it's very superhero. Wait, are the Hernandez brothers on there? Yeah, probably. I'm not seeing them Mm. so far. They are. Uh, Seventeen. Oh, that's that's pretty good. All right, I'm okay with that. Well, well, but then you put Scott behind Robert Kirkman does have. You put stop stop dissecting this publicly, please. (laughs) Do it on a separate episode when I'm not here. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> um yes yeah. charlotte remind me next episode <laughs> get back into this <laughs> oh, um okay i think i think that's gonna do it uh i think that's all we got on eight ball unless uh, one of you have uh, any other closing statements 
Nope. No, thank you stuff. for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for yeah. joining and, and reading. You know, the the man's entire bibliography. It was a re- um, it was a really good time. I good. I'm say. glad. I'm glad it was like enriching for you. Yeah. I'm yeah, glad I'm I glad did. I got it too. I'm you know like I I've been trying to, or I've been buying a lot of the hardcovers of stuff we read. We read if I think there's a chance I'll hold on to it and then mm-hmm. sometimes get rid of it. But like no, mm-hmm. this is this is keeping its spot on my shelf. I'm sure I'll pull this down every once in a while just to read a little bit here or there. Um, I probably don't think I'll like sit and do the whole read again anytime soon. I don't have that in me. But um, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good, and I, you know, if if for no other reason, right? Like he is <laughs> so influential. I just, sorry, I've just remembered, um, him talking about how like one of his big influences in in comics, what got him like into comics is Archie comics. Yeah, which is the same thing that Jaime Hernandez was like. It was all Archie for me. It's like Archie and Dennis the yeah. Menace, and it's like how many of the comics we're gonna read are like Archie got me into this <laughs> of this generation. Uh, they all there is like a, a whole weird like richy rich party I think at some points in the mm-hmm. in the early issues. It's like yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like sure. Archie. It's like a Mad Magazine. Yeah, so influential. Yeah. And then obviously yeah, once yeah I hated older, that. Get the art uh, stuff. The richy rich Casper stuff was I did not like that parody. Yeah, that one was pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, um, one other thing is uh, we were just talking about like high art. Uh, I do appreciate. I think it's the Dan Pussy Pussy Pussy. Um, section does have a roy lichtenstein chapter I was, yeah i was gonna say yeah which is pretty good and i actually kind of like <coughs> he weirdly doesn't come down against like lichtenstein necessarily like he kind of is like yeah he's kind of taken his art like he's making fun of the whole art world but he, he doesn't surprisingly doesn't just like damn the guy for making money off this stuff um yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I thought that was that was it was kind of an interesting like somewhat well measured critique of the whole thing. Yeah, uh, it's a bit uh, it's a bit Peter Parkerish, where it's like you know, Dan Puse learns all the ways he could be making all this money, and then of course it ends with him. Oh making, yeah, right. making no yeah. money, you know. Yeah, him him going to like art school and you know trying like getting totally flustered when uh, they try to like I, I think the thinking his work is like ironic superhero stuff. Uh, and yeah. then realizing Whereas that he's like, no, he's totally straight, absolutely yeah. genuine <laughs> yeah. about it than him like being like, no, retreating to the safety of superhero comics. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what I'm going to return to more often. So I do like that. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Appreciate having you on here. Uh, you're welcome anytime. You know what, Dave? I'm going to say this right now. You know what I was just thinking uh, as a possibility for a future list? Uh, we can talk about this some other sure. time. But... Um, your best comics of all time list, which I think is very good, um, has like a fair amount of, you know, I mean, it's like Watchmen, Sandman, Bone, right? Some kind of like obvious picks, I think. Mm-hmm. Like good, but obvious. But then like number five, Mind Management. Um, you've got Bulletproof Coffin at 14. And there's a few other like, I think, kind of distinctly Dave picks. More personal kind of, kind of things, yeah. I thought doing it's stuff that I've always wanted to read because you're in, like Kung Fu... What is it? Infinite Kung Fu? Infinite Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that where I was like, maybe doing a Dave's Faves of like off. Oh, okay. Know, of the oddballs you haven't read kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you have a, a fair amount of those where I'm like, I've never even heard of this except that it's in Dave's top 100. But besides that, it's like a totally unknown to me. So That'd be fun. Yeah. Let yeah. me know if you're interested. Yeah. Oh, you're not. You're not invited. On oh, I'm not. It's <laughs> 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 a chance for us to roast and be like, we read it. Yeah, number yeah. 11 of all time are you kidding me just, <laughs> yeah yeah 
Just t- a takedown of where Never I Never leaving exactly. you a chance to defend yourself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to record your own podcast on your own feed about it, you're welcome to. Um, but yeah. Definitely. Anyway. Um, well, I will be I will be recording now that we're done here um, a response track to what both of you said. Um, yes. my, my absolute uh, fury that Charlotte liked A Velvet Glove Cast in Iron. <laughs> I'll be just taking you both down here solo. Uh, you know, what I will say, though, honestly, is if you like this conversation and this work, uh, over on Comic Herald on the newsletter, which you can subscribe to, there's a link mm-hmm. in the navigation, um, I will be writing a two-part advanced review of Monica by Daniel Klaus. Ooh. That is coming soon. Uh, it'll talk about some of what we oh, talked yeah. about here today in terms of the, the full bibliography experience, but then also the new work as well. Yeah, go to comicbookherald.com, scroll all the way down, and click on join, exclamation mark. That's one way to do that. <laughs> Wait, what's the other way, Dave? I, I, I'm on your front page, and I'm like, where else? Uh, I think, you know, I could ma- I could probably start making this easier, given uh, the amount of time I'm spending writing in the newsletter. Um, in the About Me section, mm-hmm. in the navigation, oh, yeah, there's the CBH email newsletter. newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't really be good. clearer I, that that really would be like in the About Me section. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i just want to let people know no i i need to make that easier to find uh but it's great i uh I, i've been having a blast reading those every week and uh and i get a lot of substacks now and i don't always read every one of them um yeah but uh, i always read yours why don't you Thank get you. on substack dave get one of those fancy contracts from substack because i'll oh, tell cause you, you have what. your own website <laughs> that's right i'll tell you what i got my own website it's a good and reason listen they keep sending me contracts zach they keep flashing dollar signs in my eyes. You know what I mm-hmm. say to those? Lose I the say, email. get lost, suckers. Get <laughs> lost. And I rip up the checks in their faces. That's that's cool. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. cool. All right, Charlotte, thank you. Appreciate you as always. Thank you. And uh, next time we're going to be doing Dungeon Quest, Prison Pit, and Mega Hex, um, which are yeah. very interesting. Oh, and also like the Mega Hex um, author... Simon Hanselman, I think, um, had stuff all over 8-Ball. It was kind of interesting to see, like, the legacy from this to, like, uh, Meg Mog and Owl because, uh, like, there's a pull quote from Hanselman. That's actually not even a pull quote. On the back of 8-Ball, there's a drawing of Hanselman holding 8-Ball and, like, praising it. Um, and then yeah. their, uh, their, like, quotes are all through the comic or letters and stuff. So kind of fun. Um, support us at patreon.com slash member of us here iTunes reviews and music by FM Skyline thank you FM Skyline and we'll see you in the funny papers <laughs> see you in the funny papers bye, bye. we are cursed bye, bye.